All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, you know my heart's so encouraged this morning. Um, I had the privilege of being able to teach uh, our, our young parents this morning. And uh, I taught out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, a lesson called Teach the Word. And I, I'm just so grateful for the, the, the families in our church, the children in our church, these newborns that are in our church, and for the future generations that we are going to be able to pass along our faith in Christ too. And so I look forward to next week. We'll have a, a baby dedication. It'll be my first time uh, having a baby dedication here at Chillicothe Baptist Church. And so we were, uh, this morning, I was just preparing them uh, for not just the baby dedication, but giving them truth that will help them in the greatest task that every parent has, which is to disciple their children in the truth of the gospel. And so I'd like to preach that message to you, actually. But I'm going to preach what uh, the Lord has laid on my heart today. And Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, and the message is devoted to the word. Devoted to the word. And we're going to pick up in verse 14. Stand with me as we read God's holy and inspired word. The Apostle Paul writes, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Let us again pray. Father, we are in need, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and our hearts to the truth of your word, to illuminate us, and to empower the preaching. And so I ask that you remove every distraction Cleanse me from sin, fill me with power, and may you use your word to sanctify us through your truth and to draw all eyes and hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the center of all scripture. And we'll ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All of us have maps on our phones now, at least most of us, and we can't travel without them, at least me. And it's interesting because the maps on our phones are incredibly accurate, aren't they? I mean, they provide directions to our destination, details for our journey. I mean, if I want to know where Skyline Chile is, all I got to do is say, show me where it is and I can get there as I'm driving. All the details for the journey, including accidents ahead, traffic jams, speed limits, and even weather conditions. And it, it literally is a minute-by-minute minute update that our phones can give us. They tell us how fast we are going precisely and even how long the journey will take us. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I'm smarter than my smartphone. And on some occasions... I will ignore its information, and I will trust my own instincts, only to regret it and to be embarrassed by my, in front of my family. And usually, every time I do that, it turns out that I didn't get there faster, and I end up ignoring what it told me, and then I end up in a, another 30-minute, hour, hour-and-a-half traffic jam, because I didn't believe what it was saying. And... Really, any journey that we take requires two things involving our phones and our maps. We need to have our GPS and we need to heed its directions. In other words, it's not enough just to have it. You actually got to do what it tells you to do. Follow what it lays out in front of you. And so with that in mind, how do we journey through life? How do we get to God? How do we know what he expects of us? How are we to order the services of our church? And to how are we to govern not only our own souls, but 
our families and our churches? Well, the answer is simple. The Bible. It's that simple. The Bible. And simply put, every Christian and every church must be committed to the Bible. There is only one reliable source. There is only one authoritative voice that is completely true and totally perfect, and it is the Bible, the Word of God. But you may say, well, I already know that, Pastor. Well, so did Timothy. Timothy already knew that. And yet, Paul admonishes him to have a continual devotion to the Bible. Look at the text, verse 14. He says, continue. As for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and in what you have believed. And so he wants Timothy... So he, he, not only did he want Timothy to be devoted to the Bible, he wants every church to be devoted to the Bible. And that's why he uses the word continue. Don't get off track. Don't ignore the book. Don't turn to something else. Continue in what you already know. But the reality is what we already know, we need to be reminded of it over and over and over again. Because the constant temptation is to say, I know better than the GPS. And so not only did Paul want that for Timothy, Paul did want that for the church. I just said that. And if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, listen to what he tells Timothy in implication for his ministry to the local church. Until I come, devote yourself, commit yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. That devotion to the Bible, not just to read it, but to preach it, and for the church to hear it, and then to receive it, and, and, and then to be taught it, and then to go out teaching it, that command applies to us today. That is a devotion that also marked the early church in Acts chapter 2. If you look at Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it says, And they, that is the church at Jerusalem, the believers of Pentecost who had been added to the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And so there is the order of the, there is the priorities of the local church. But what was the first priority of the local church? To be devoted to the apostles' teaching. And the apostles' teaching, the apostolic teaching, really is the Word of God. Which eventually would become the New Testament for us. And so Old Testament, New Testament. And so today, as uh, what, what I want to do today for, um, for you is I, I, I want us, I, 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 want, I want this pastor, I want this church to always do the same. To be devoted to the Word of God. And one thing that I will do every year that God gives me here with you is I'll plan to focus on one foundational doctrine for our church throughout the year. This year we are going to focus on the doctrine of the Bible. And in addition to verse by verse preaching every Sunday that is accompanied by songs that are informed by Scripture and the reading of Scripture and prayers that, that, that take us to the Word of God. In addition to all of those things, we'll go through, and, and going through books of the Bible through preaching, what we will do this year is we will intentionally seek to grow in our knowledge of the Word and our devotion to it. And the reason why is because not only do you see that in those verses, but isn't that the key point to this passage? I mean, write this down. The key truth is this. The key truth is that we must grow in our devotion to and dependence on the Bible, the Word of God. If this is the Word of God, then every Christian, every, every church, every preacher, every minister, every teacher, every man, woman, boy, and child who professes Jesus Christ, we want to grow in our devotion to the Word and our dependence on the Word because it is the very Word of God Himself. 
And so this morning, there are three reasons we want to be devoted to the Word. Three reasons. And, and, and through this year, you're going to see this when you walk in the doors. Christ we proclaim. You see that right now. And it's going to say devoted to the Word. And it's going to have these three things, which is the main point of this, the, the main points of this message. The reason we want to be devoted to the Word is because Scripture is saving. Scripture is supreme, and Scripture is sufficient. Those three things. Let those, let the, may the Holy Spirit just emblazon those into our minds and into our hearts. The Scriptures, the Scripture is saving, it is supreme, and it is sufficient, and that's exactly what Paul says here. So let's look at how Paul lays that out to Timothy, and of course to us today. First, Scripture is saving. Scripture is saving. That's what verse 14 says. Verse 14 says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Pretty clear, isn't it? The Scripture is saving. But before we unpack that, let's look at, let, let's look closely. Before we look at the saving nature of scripture, let's look closely. I want you to, to pay very close attention to something. There's actually a contrast that takes place. Go back to verse 13. In verse 13, Paul says, eat while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so there's a contrast going on. Paul mentions the evil people, the imposters, false teachers. And he actually expounds that in verse 1 through 10. The people described in verses 1 through 10 are people who have abandoned the gospel and have forsaken the Bible. They have abandoned the, 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 the gospel and they have forsaken the Bible. And, and Paul says, I don't want you to be like them. I don't want you to be like them. Paul wants him to be like some, some other people. And so what Paul does is he references two groups of people from whom Timothy learned the Bible and believed the gospel. Who's the first person he mentions? Himself. Look at, look at verse, look at verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. See the contrast? Paul reminds him that you have learned this from faithful people, and he's one of them. Paul taught him the word, not just didactically, but Paul taught him in deed, in attitude, and in suffering. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't that. Look at all the things that Paul says. Not only did you hear the gospel, the truth of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, but you have seen how the gospel transformed my life. You have seen how it totally upended me and made me a new person. And I went from persecuting the church and hating the Lord Jesus to being a part of the church and loving the Lord Jesus. You have seen not only my, 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 my conduct, but my aim in life, my faith. And you've also seen how it's transformed me because I'm patient with you. I love you. You've seen me actually live this gospel out in your midst. See, the gospel is more than, the, 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 the gospel is not more than believing, but as a result of belief, the, the results of believing the gospel is a transformative life. Go back to last week's message that overflows from our hearts with love towards one another. And so Paul says, you have, you've, you've believed the gospel. Don't forget, again, just look at it. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. He's talking about himself. And Timothy had spent some time under Paul's mentorship and leadership. But then Paul says something more endearing. Look at it. And how from childhood you became acquainted with the sacred writings. Paul puts some other people 
he reminds Timothy of some other people. From childhood, Timothy, you became acquainted with the stories of redemption. And you heard the truths of the gospel. And who did Timothy hear that from? From his mother and his grandmother. From Lois and Eunice. His mother and grandmother. Paul, uh, Timothy didn't have a godly father. His mother and his grandmother were the primary disciplers until Paul came into the picture. But doesn't that just tell you, mothers, how important you are? Fathers, how important you are? Families, how important your home is? He says, don't you forget that you became acquainted. How many of you kids in this room, while you may, you may remember sermons that you've heard preached through the years, but how many of you kids in this room that you can remember, you remember, or right now you can recall just this past week, hearing stories of the Bible being read in your home, truths of the gospel being shared by your parents. Don't you ever take that for granted. And parents, don't you ever neglect that responsibility and be encouraged by Lois and Eunice and how God used them to make sure that Timothy knew the scriptures, but more than that, knew the Savior who came to rescue. Let me ask you, church, who taught you the Bible? Who preached to you the gospel? I think we need this reminder because, you know, I, again, before we dig into the nature of the scripture, it, it wasn't, it, for, for, I don't think any of us would say it was, it was some celebrity preacher. Or conference circuit reform preacher. Or some social media personality. Or some megachurch pastor. Or some seminary professor. Let me tell you about me. I heard it from a man whose name was, his name was John. And he taught in our church from my earliest days. I remember him because he looked like Abraham Lincoln. He had one of those, he had one of those beards and grew hair like really thick on his neck. And I would just sit there and stare at him like, it's all I could think about was Abraham Lincoln and how do you grow hair on your neck like that? It's like amazing. But you know what I remember about him? He loved the Bible. I remember Mike Ritter. He was my Sunday school teacher when I was in second grade. I remember him because he's the first person that taught me how to memorize the Bible. And the first verse he taught me was Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I remember him because he shared my last name, but he spelled it differently. And he also was in really good shape, and he had a karate, he ran a karate store. And I always asked him questions about karate. But you know what I remember? He loved the Bible. And he loved Jesus. You want to know why it was important for me? Because like Timothy... It was pretty much just my mom that took me to church and made sure that I knew the gospel. And you know, that that's the other person that shaped my life. It's my mom. I remember my mom reading the Bible to me, praying with me, taking me to church three times a week. With no exceptions. And I dare not ask to miss. I know you might say, well, that's just extreme. And, you know, wow. She did all that alone. Just me and her without my dad. So I didn't ask if I could miss. And I knew it was important. Because when I'd go there, I'd learn the Bible. I never complained about it. And truly, it didn't drive me away from God. I hear people say that. You know, well, you just be careful. You can, you can push them too hard. No, you can't. No, you can't. You can't push them too hard. You can't be too extreme as long as they understand the reason why. So, if you ever want to criticize me and my family for our commitments, well, you can blame my mom. Or you can talk to my mom. Because it made me appreciate the preaching of God's word and the importance of God's people. And at home, she relentlessly 
preached at me that we are saved by Christ alone and not our works. And so when I look back on my life, it was unknown pastors who heralded the gospel and preached expository sermons. A caring mother who read and made sure that I heard the truth. I'll never forget Pastor Larry Waters who would preach. I mean, all I can remember, boy, he would yell and his face would turn blood red. He would step over off the platform. He'd raise that finger, his face blood red, and he would preach. His tie would just kind of pull up on his neck and he would tell about Christ and how he died on the cross and how through faith in him, sinners can be saved and forgiven and made right with God. And I remember one day, after hearing it and hearing it and hearing it, one day I heard it. And when he said, if you want to be saved, you can come here right now, and I'll talk to you about the gospel. I stepped right forward and walked up to him and said, I want to be saved. Unknown pastor. I came to believe the Bible that was an errant, infallible, inspired word of God. Not because of Puritans or professors, but because of ordinary believers and ministers devoted to the gospel and to the church. You see, I'm a Timothy. What about you? You, Timothy? Parents and preachers have their flaws, but boy, I'm sure glad that God used them in my life. And that has become the legacy that I want to leave as I've raised my children, as a Christian man, as a Christian father, and then so happen as a Christian pastor. But it didn't matter if I was a Christian pastor, because first I'm a man and then I'm a father. And God has given the responsibility to us to pass along the faith. And so the reason why this is so important is not because I'm just trying to be nostalgic. I do want us to be thankful. Paul wants him. Hey, remember who you learned it. Remember the sacrifices that were made. Remember how, how valuable the gospel was when you see people suffering for the gospel. When you see a mother taking their children to church and, and teaching them the word alone. Doesn't that tell you there must be something important about this book? That's why Paul's saying this. I mean, I think of William Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English the first time. He was strangled by, with a chain, with a metal chain. His body was, was, was stuffed with gunpowder, burned and blown up, and then his ashes scattered because he translated the Bible so normal, ordinary English people could read it. Doesn't that tell you that this book and this gospel must be infinitely important? That's why Paul starts it this way. Remember who, from whom you learned it and how from childhood you became acquainted with the sacred scriptures, with the holy scriptures, with the, with the saving scriptures. And then he gives you three reasons why the scriptures are saving. They're saving in power, they're saving in purpose, and then they're saving in person. It's saving power, it's saving purpose, it's saving person. Notice again what he says. Let's go to the text. He says, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. Don't you love that phrase? It's able to make you wise unto salvation. A math book can make you smart in math. A science book can give you knowledge about science. An English book can give you, a grammar book can give you knowledge about how to write. And how to use proper English. But there's only one book that can tell you how to be saved. And it's the scriptures. And I love the wording that Paul uses. Able to make you wise. So in other words, the scripture have within it a power. It's called That power is the Holy Spirit. Who uses the word to make men reborn in faith and repentance. But as I thought about this, able to make you wise, and then I thought, wait, I've heard that phrase before. Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember? In the garden, God's word had been given to Adam and Eve, and then the serpent comes to Eve and says, has God told you, has God told you, 
that you should not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And so notice the serpent tells her to question God's word, and then she mistakenly twists God's word. Adam doesn't say a single thing. And then the serpent says to the woman, Oh, you won't surely die. Yeah, I don't believe that. That's metaphorical. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So listen to this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, what did she do? She took and she ate it and she gave it to her husband. In other words, what she did was, is rather than trust God's word and rest in God's word, Eve saw the fruit and that it was able to make her wise. She was deceived by the serpent. She was deceived by her perceptions. She was enticed by inward pleasure. And she was overtaken by her pride as well as Adam. And what happened is by rejecting God's word, she brought death and judgment upon her and all humanity. Instead of listening to God, she looked to herself for wisdom. What's that tell you? Don't listen to your heart. Don't follow your heart. Don't listen to yourself. You will lead yourself to hell if you listen to yourself. There's only one voice that can lead you to salvation and it is the word of God. That's what Paul, Paul's saying to us. Only God's word is able to make us wise unto salvation. To know who God is as the creator. To who we are as the created. And what our need is for a relationship in, on, in him in salvation. And so Paul could have said many things about what the word is able to do. But what's interesting is he focuses on one single thing. It has the power to save. And so once again, the word of God makes us. It changes our mind. It molds our will. It removes the blindness. It regenerates the heart. And the word of God, by the power of the spirit, makes us wise unto salvation. Let me put to you as simple as this. Where else do you learn of God? How else do you know the difference between sin and righteousness? How else would you know about death and eternal life? Heaven and hell. Truth and salvation. Where are you going to go for the answers to any of that? There's only one book that has ever been given to men that has the answers to all of those questions. And it is the Bible. The Word of God. Without the Bible, you have no answers. No direction in life. Through the Bible, you're able to be made wise unto salvation. That's its saving power. But its saving purpose, we learn, is just that. The whole Bible is able to make us wise enough to put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose of the Bible. To make us wise unto salvation. To be wise enough to put our faith in Christ. To use Kevin DeYoung's words. And so that is, you know, when you, when you think about that, the whole purpose of the Bible then is to unfold God's plan of salvation. The Old Testament promises a Savior who will come through whom all nations will be blessed. And the New Testament presents the Savior and what he has done to accomplish our salvation. That is the purpose of the Bible. It is one unified story of the history of our world from beginning to end. 66 books telling us God's plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. The main purpose of the Bible is to make us wise unto salvation. We have to get that. You know why we have to get that? Because the Bible is not a social commentary. It speaks to social issues. But its primary purpose is not a social commentary. It's not a political platform. I don't care what politician uses the Bible. They always use it wrong. It's not a self-help book. It's not a magic eight ball to tell you how to be rich, what career you should choose, or the person that you're to marry. The aim of Scripture is to make us wise unto salvation. That's the aim of Scripture. And that salvation 
is in the Bible's saving person. And Paul states that, isn't doesn't he? Who's the saving person? Jesus Christ. That's the saving person. The saving purpose, the saving person is Christ, who came from heaven to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, to atone for our sins, and, through, and then to rise from the dead with resurrection power, ascend into heaven to be the one mediator between God. Jesus said it well. Scripture is about me. Luke chapter 4, 24. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me. Did you hear that? Everything written about me and the law, the Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. All of it was written by him. Was written, was written about him. So that means the Bible's not about me. It's not about you. I mean, we're in it. And our part is the sin that made it necessary for God to send his son into the world to bring us salvation. So when you read the Bible, it's not, you're not Moses and your obstacles the Red Sea. You're not David, as we've heard said, and your problems are Goliath. The Bible is about Jesus, and sin and death are the Goliaths, and Christ has defeated them both. All of Scripture, its purpose is salvation through Jesus Christ. Because you cannot be saved apart from Jesus Christ. There is no salvation in yourself. Our first parents thought that they could lean into their wisdom and somehow become God. That can't happen. what, What we see here is that the Bible shows us that there's only one that can save us and it's Christ. And so let me ask you this question. Have you experienced salvation through Jesus Christ? That's the question that we have to ask. Has the Bible made you wise unto salvation? Or do you still believe the Bible has some kind of other like mystical element to it? Or do you see its power, its purpose, and its person is Christ? That leads us to a second observation. We're devoted to the word because the Bible is saving. But the second thing is the Bible is supreme. Look what Paul says. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. When we say supreme, we mean that it is the highest and the final authority in all matters of faith and life. It's supreme. And it's supreme First, because of its scope. Look at what the text says. All scripture. That means every book in the Bible, every line in the Bible, every word in the Bible. It means that we can't pick or choose what's in the Bible, and that's what is actually supreme. All scripture includes all the parts we may not like, all the parts we may very well love. It includes all the parts that we might find difficult, the parts that are clear, the parts of our, that our culture rejects and the world hates. All scripture means every genre from histories, genealogies, poetry, proverbs, prophets, gospels, letters, and prophecies. All scripture is divinely inspired. Not just the red letters, which I don't have red letters in my Bible because all scripture is read out by God. And so the implication is so clear that we are to be devoted to all of the Bible, not just some of it. And the reason is, is because all of it is true, tried, and trustworthy. And all of it is breathed out by God. In other words, it's reliable, is the point. Every bit of the Bible is reliable. And I was reading that Wikipedia, I was reading one book, said that we go to Wikipedia, you get an argument with your friend, right? And you have a dispute. What do you do when you have a dispute? You go to Wikipedia and you look it up because you believe that Wikipedia is actually reliable. But guess what? It's not. It's only 80% reliable according to statistics, maybe less. You know why? Because people can go in and you can add anything to anything on Wikipedia if you'd like. So it's not all reliable, And one author makes this statement, the Bible, however, is 100% true and therefore 100% authoritative in our lives. It's supreme because it's totally true in its scope. 
Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth. It's all truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. John 17, 17, sanctify them in your truth. What does Jesus say? Your word is truth. And so scripture is supreme because of its scope. But secondly, it's supreme because of its source. All scripture is what? God breathed, one translation says. Older translations says all, say all scripture is inspired by God. Breathed out by God, the ESV says. Scripture is supreme because it's divine in its origin. It is God-breathed, inspired by God. Words are carried by our breath when we speak. When I speak, you're hearing words that are carried, created in my, in my, by my vocal cords and come out of my mouth and carried by breath. That's what he says about Scripture. Men wrote and spoke the word of God as they were carried along like wind in a sail by the Holy Spirit. So that when Scripture was written down, it is the very word of God Himself. God the Holy Spirit was directing all of His words to be written down. Superintending over all the human authors. In such a way that we still have the personalities and the backgrounds and the cultures of the original human authors, but the Holy Spirit superintended in such a way that what they actually wrote down was the very Word of God Himself. Now, you can object to that if you'd like. But it doesn't matter what objection men may put, put out there. The Bible is divine in its origin, whether we believe it or not. And that is what Scripture teaches about itself. That is the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. Man shall not live by every word, by, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the very mouth of God. And what is he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures when he says that. Divine authority is taught by the early church and the church fathers it is the confession of any true church of jesus christ that preaches the gospel scripture is the voice of god so as you've heard this said over and over by all sorts of different people if you want to hear god speak then open your bible and just read it out loud Keep in mind, what we're saying here is, is not that we just simply, I don't worship a leather-bound book and paper here, but every word that is written in this book leads me to the God I worship. This is the message of the king. And I can't separate the message, the words of the king, from the king himself. If the king is perfect, his words are perfect. If the king is holy, his words are holy. And so in the end, we affirm the, the supremacy of Scripture because it leads us to worship the God who has also ultimately revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And that leads us to a third observation about, about the supremacy of Scripture. It is supreme not only because of its scope, not only because of its source, which is God himself, but because of its substance. Scripture, that word, is referring to everything that is written in the Old Testament. And then as you read the New Testament, the New Testament writers, Paul and the apostles, would also affirm that their writings are divinely inspired. Second Thessalonians 2.13, the Thessalonians received the word from Paul and the apostles as what? As their opinion? No, as the very word of God itself. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 16, Peter says of Paul's writings that they are divinely given. So Old Testament, New Testament, when we say scripture, we mean the substance is the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's no new substance to be added. Hear what I'm telling you. There are no word, uh, new words from God. There are no new revelations. So anybody that says God spoke to me, God said to me, Unless what they say after that, I read in God's word, if they're telling you that God gave them some kind of new word and revelation, you just might as well not listen to them. Because God is not giving out new words or revelations. All that God wants to say is in scripture. 
And Scripture has given us its final amen in the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And so if you want to know what the message of salvation is, read Scripture. If you want to know what God's will for your life is, read the Bible. If you want to know how to go to heaven, read the Bible. If you want to know how to live the Christian life, read the Bible. If you want to know how all things will end ultimately, read the Bible. You may read a million other things, but the Bible is the most important. We could do a million other things up here in this pulpit. But the most important thing that can, must be done is for the Bible to be read and to be proclaimed and to be taught. J.C. Ryle said this, Whatever you read, and there's a lot you can read, much of it is good and a lot of it is terrible, but whatever you read, read the Bible first. What do we all do the first thing that we do when we wake up? Most of us, if we're just totally honest, we grab that phone. And the first temptation is, what's going on on social media? I think the admonition here is, is that let's make the Bible the first priority. Not social media, not Fox News, not CNN, not NPR, not any other voice. Let the Bible be the first voice that's speaking into our lives because it's God's word. So the implication of application is this. What's the supreme voice and authority in your life? Is it scripture? Is it? Or is it someone or something else? What do you rely on most to guide and govern you? May we be devoted to scripture because it is supreme. Because it is saving. But lastly, let's be devoted to scripture because it's sufficient. Look what Paul says here. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so what Paul affirms here is, is that scripture is sufficient not only to bring us into salvation, which is its, it is ultimate purpose, but scripture is sufficient to tell us how to live the Christian life. To speak into every experience, situation, circumstance, emotion that may occur. While we may benefit from other sciences and information, everything else must be subjected to the sufficiency of the Word of God. In other words, I can glean from other things, but the final word is the Word of God. And anything that comes into contradiction with Scripture, Scripture trumps everything else. And so everything always is measured by the Bible. And Paul gives you two ways that it's sufficient. One, it profits us in every good way. Notice what Paul says to Timothy. Here's how it profits us. It is profitable for teaching or doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So it gives you three things. What is the church to believe? What are we to believe? Whatever the Bible teaches us. It doesn't mean that we can't rely on the history of the church, the confessions of the church, the traditions of the church, but we rely on those things only so much as they inform us of what Scripture authoritatively states. Because any of those other things can be wrong. Scripture cannot be. But it tells us what we must believe and what is most important. And beyond that, it is the perfect rule for our doctrine. Everything is to be weighted by what the Word of God says. He then gives you a couple of pairings, or, or a pairing. He says reproof and correction. Reproof is addressing sin. Reproof tells us that the Bible cuts us, convicts us, and then brings us into repentance. Doesn't it? Doesn't the Bible expose us? Doesn't the Bible reveal? Because here's what the Bible does. The, the Bible just doesn't address our behaviors. It addresses our heart. It addresses our motivations. It speaks to our emotions. It speaks to the very core of us. Exposing what is wrong. And correcting us with the saving truth of the word of God. And so it not only reproves us. Cutting us. Convicting us. It corrects us with truth. It, it, also, it, it also comforts us, right? 
Because that word correction, correct, it has a restorative connotation. In other words, what it does is, is it takes what's wrong and it makes it right. It restores it to the way it's supposed to be. Isn't that what the Word of God does? Isn't that why James says the Word of God is like looking into a mirror? You look into the mirror, you see what is wrong, and then the mirror tells you what needs to be fixed. We look into the Word of God. It exposes what is wrong. First and foremost is our sin and our need salvation. And then we put our faith in Jesus Christ. But as Christians, we keep going back to the Bible and we read it and it says, ah, here's what I need for my family, for my role as a husband, for my role as a father, for my, for your role as a wife or as a mother or as a child or as a worker. Like, right? The Bible has a correcting mechanism in it in such a way that it's, it's making things right. That's why the Bible's sufficient. It corrects us. It's restoring us. And in restoring us, it comforts us and conforms us to Jesus, bringing repentance and restoration. Last thing here in the, this prophet is it, prof, it profits us in every good way, is that it trains us in righteousness. It makes us like Christ. It tells us how to live a life pleasing to the God who has saved us. But I love what he says, it trains us, right? Because how many times do you have to tell your kids, listen, did you not listen to what I just said? Right? You have to train them over and over again, repeat it over and over again. The Bible trains us, like going to a gym and working out and so on and so forth, right? It, it, change requires training and so this training in righteousness tells us that it trains us how to live a life pleasing to God. To affirm this, Second Peter says that his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Listen to how sufficient the Bible is to give us everything we need in life and godliness, which has come to us through the gospel and the promises of the word. But the last thing about scripture sufficiency is it equips us for every good work. It not only, not only does it profit us in every good way, it equips us. Paul says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Like a soldier going into battle, the word of God gives you what you need for the war. Like a surgeon going into the operating room, needing a variety of tools to successfully do surgery. A farmer going into the field, needing the equipment necessary to render the harvest. The Bible equips the believer, makes us competent men and women of God. And that's what that word means, complete mature, competent men and women of God. Scripture equips us with the gospel, informs us how to live in all the areas of our life so that we will live for the glory of God. You name it, the Bible instructs us on how to lead, how to love, how to care for others, how to reach our neighbors. Whatever it might be, the scriptures speak to it. The Bible is the sword that we use to fight our sin and the enemy. I hide the words in my heart that I might not sin against God. The word is a light for our path, a lamp to our feet, walking through this world. It is the key to our spiritual growth and our spiritual unity. And so all that's good and well, right? We'd all say amen to that. But the reality is, is that it's not enough to know it. If all of that is true, if the Bible is sufficient, for that matter, if it's supreme, if for that matter it's saving, you know what we have to do? Submit to it. That's what's required of us. I've got to submit to the Word of God. Our problem today, believer, is not that we lack information. We lack submission. A willingness to subject all of our hearts to the truth, to the gospel, to the Word, is how we must respond in devotion to the Word. So, truth applied, do you have a humble heart before Scripture and a willingness to submit to all that it says? What do you need to submit to? Maybe it pertains to the home. 
Maybe it pertains to issues that are going on in our own culture today. Sexuality, marriage, gender. Maybe it's emotions and sins that are in your heart that you need to just simply submit to the word of God. I don't know what that would be, but the reality is the Bible is sufficient. So in conclusion, church, we're not smarter than our smartphones. Maybe a little bit sometimes. But I'll tell you one thing. We're not smarter than the Bible. We're not smarter than the Bible. And so knowing the Bible is saving, supreme, and sufficient, I want to urge us as a church to continue, as Paul says, in what we have learned and what we have believed. Let's grow in our devotion to the Scriptures. And so as we think about that, consider these questions. And before this day ends, may you answer these faithfully. Will you repent of unbelief and believe on Christ for salvation? You must believe by faith and embrace the gospel. Will you be devoted to the word and submit to God's voice over all others? What voices do you need to cloud out? And will you submit your way to scripture before observing? Will you submit your your, your way to scripture? As, you've been, as we've been challenged through God's word today. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. I want you to think about these questions. And the way that we're going to respond to God's word is we're going to enter into a time of observing the Lord's Supper. And so I want you to contemplate these things as we move into this time of communion. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And I pray that we will be even more devoted to the word. If there's one here that's ever repented and believed on Christ, may they do that now. And for us as a church, may we be devoted to the word. May we submit to your voice in scripture over all others. May we be directed in our ways by what your word has revealed. And as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together, may what we do now be a reminder of what was the priority in the local church. Not only did they receive the word of God, they participated at the table together. And so I pray, Lord, that we will participate at this table today as a church fully submitted to the word of God. In Jesus' name. Amen.